the impudence, the audacity, the unmitigated gall of those knuckleheads of liberty podcasters daring to voice opinions outside the mainstream of accepted thought. Listen, if you dare, it's angry, it's funny, it's even sometimes sad, but it's always based on freedom and justice, as you will see. Here's our host, Jason McPhee. Welcome to the Knuckleheads of Liberty. We're coming at you on September 14, 2022, and boy, every day is just, uh, we wonder how we've survived another day of the Biden administration, but fortunately, uh, we have a, a special guest here today to, to you know, at least uh, uh, be able to escape a little bit of that <laughs> dismal news, hopefully. Um, but uh, um, let me introduce you to our panel. So in our upper left-hand corner, we have Leon, the word Brathwaite, last word in Liberty. He is a retired engineer in the state of California. Our screaming of freedom is missing today. Uh, we've had uh, some scheduling issues, but uh, we, he will be back in the next few weeks. So if you're a Screaming Eagle fan, uh, Tim Everett will be back. And in our upper right-hand corner, we have our special guest today, Joseph Becker, um, of the Mises Institute. And so he's uh, an economist and he's here to help us uh, out with some economic uh, stories on the economy uh, uh, that are going on. So, um, and of course, we need all the help we can get because boy, these times are just crazy with the way they're, uh, Biden is sort of taking us off a cliff. Um, so anyways, let's uh, jump right into the stories. Uh, uh, let me let me pull up our first uh, story here. And everything is about inflation nowadays. Um, and of course, uh, a lot of this uh, derives from the fact that we had these crazy uh, COVID lockdowns to cure a, a, a illness that might have been on par with the flu. We decided to lock everybody in their homes, not let people work, pay them to stay home. And uh, then surprise, surprise, we have uh, inflation after shoveling out boatloads of money for uh, a few years. Um, <clears throat> so we, we've got this inflation going on. And so Biden has decided that the cure for inflation is to make an act that has not a whole lot to do with inflation other than spending a lot of money and creating potentially more inflation, but uh, calling it the Inflation Reduction Act. <laughs> and the, the, the act actually has a lot more to do with uh, uh, environmental spending, which is, you know, I guess this is just the norm in Washington. You create an act that says one thing and you got it and place a whole bunch of other goodies that have not a whole lot to do with it. <laughs> in the middle. But uh, it, it is funny because as we're dealing with this whole Inflation Reduction Act, uh, uh, Biden decided to have a party at the White House uh, where uh, yesterday where he was uh, touting the the uh, benefits of his Inflation Reduction Act at the same time uh, when all the economic numbers were coming in and saying inflation was high and, um, you know, that I, I'm not quite sure what Biden was celebrating, but uh, at the same time he was celebrating the market was, uh, the stock market was dropping over a thousand points. <laughs> so so what, what do you guys think about this? I mean, just, just more... Uh, economic insanity coming from the Biden administration? Well, it's just the arrogance of the central planners, right? Thinking that they could, they could. I mean, well, I mean, just the, the whole policies of these central planners is nothing but arrogance, thinking that they could fix everybody's problems. But what they're really trying to do is to buy votes. We know that because that's, that, that's nothing new. But all they are doing here is causing the inflation that they're supposedly trying to fight. 
And then this damn nonsense about the Inflation Reduction Act. Come on, for crying out loud. All this environmental money we're going to spend. We're going to solve the climate change problem as if we can stop the forces of nature. Really and truly, we could do this? So this is nothing about the arrogance of central planners trying to think they could engineer our lives to fit their own vision of what utopia is supposed to look like. God help us with these people. Yeah. Well, you know, I was this. None of this surprises me as far as the nomenclature, because I was five years on the Hill with uh, Ron Paul and his congressional offices as legislative director and deputy chief of staff. And, you know, we always had a joke that, you know, like everything else in Washington, fill in the blank is misnamed, you know. So the Inflation Reduction Act has the opposite effect. The Department of Justice, well, not so much. Uh, another good one is the Department of the Department of Defense used to be called the De the Department of War. Of war, yes. Right, yeah. and now you know that's it was the Department of War when we were basically you know in a position where it was the Department of Defense, and now we call it the Department of Defense. But you know we're we're waging war all over the world. So you know, like I said, Inflation Reduction Act, Patriot Act, like everything else in Washington, misnamed. Indeed, indeed. Well, it, it, it's just crazy too. The idea that it went from the uh, the true name, the Department of War, to the Department <laughs> of Defense. You know, uh, it, it's almost like its government gets bigger, its its lies get better. I, I don't know. So they certainly become more apparent. That's for sure. But 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 the, but the, but the fact of the matter is that as the government gets bigger, our liberties get smaller. They're, they're squeezing our liberties um, more and more into a little corner so they could rule us and control us. And that is a danger. This is the danger of the expansion of government is that our life, our liberty, and the, our pursuit of happiness is, is not being confined to just little, this little corner that they have defined for us that is their utopia. So this is nothing about nothing other than power and control. That is all that's going on here, this expansion of government that we've seen all over. And this is happening at the state level and the federal level. So this is a real problem. Yeah, it's also the expansion of language and definitions. Yes. You know, if everyone's a racist, then no one's a racist, right? Right. If, okay. if uh, inflation includes, if deflation includes rising prices, then, you know, I mean, if you can, you can do a lot with, you can play a lot with the language. I mean, it's the only way you can get away with saying that uh, celebrating, you know, an inflation reduction when inflation is you know, 8% <laughs> annually. Although maybe they're celebrating because it could have been 16% in their minds, you know, and it's only 8%. So. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, this is just, you know, part and parcel of, of everything that Biden seems to be doing. It's just one crazy thing after another. And of course, I, you know, what kills me is that they're always able to find these economists to come in and say how wonderful his ideas are, even as yeah. the sky is falling around. <laughs> well, you won't find any Austrian economists saying yeah. that, you know, and of course, I'm I'm going to plug the Austrian school because that's what, you know, I work at the Mises Institute. And, it's a 40-year-old nonprofit that has been advancing good economics. The Austrian school, so named because of its origin at the University of Vienna. And uh, you know, you won't you won't find Austrian economists, you know, 
siding with siding with the big government types because our conclusions all lead us to less government intervention, less intervention in the monetary market, the better for society as a whole. You know, you know, this is this is this is truly truly good to hear. You know that that Austrian uh, Austrian economists tend not to be corrupted by you know the you know the whether it's the federal money or whether it's the or whether it's a job in the federal government or whatever and that kind of stuff. But I wonder if if um if Joe if you have seen this corruption that have been occurring where people with uh, liberty minded people. They have these good intentions of, of of trying to promote policies that that promote more liberty rather than less. I wonder if you you see that once you get into government, do you see this? I mean, you have worked in government. You have worked on the hill. You said you see this corruption where they start to become part of the system, where they start to defend the indefensible. Yeah, I think there's a lot of that. I think, you know, Ron would say the same thing. I mean, we would look for good candidates around the country uh, and they'd be pretty good coming in, but, you know, they would get easily corrupted by, you know, by Washington. It was bad. And, you know, there's that old movie, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, which I think is pretty good and pretty realistic. But, uh, you know, not not so the Austrians. And, you know, really inflation isn't that complicated. Um, we use the Angel Gabriel model when I was teaching undergraduate econ to talk about how if, you know, the Angel Gabriel decides to do something wonderful for everyone and while we're sleeping tonight, he doubles the amount of money in our wallets, you know, are we better off? Are we worse off? Or are things roughly the same? And of course, when I would teach the undergrads, I get all kinds of different answers to that question. But I mean, if you hold everything constant and double the money supply, I mean, you're going to have more dollars chasing the same number of goods. Right. That's going to bid up the prices. It's going to be inflationary. Now, the other lesson in the Angel Gabriel model, there are many, but the other one I would mention here is it does matter who wakes up first. Because if I wake up and figure out I got a lot of extra money and I run to the store first, um, I'm going to be spending my money before all the other money is chasing all those goods and before the price of goods gets bid up. And the lesson here is where the money gets injected makes a big difference because those are the net winners and the net losers are the people that either had no money in their wallet to start with and thus, you know, realize no doubling a zero is still zero, right? So I, I think of these as the retirees who, you know, have a fixed income and they're not going to benefit from the increased money and increased wages. They're stuck paying higher prices uh, with the savings that they had. and and the uh, the people who are going to benefit from the early injections of the money, or at least benefit partially uh, at the expense of the late receivers of the money or the non-receivers of the new money. Um, that or the other inflationary impact is if goods are, the number of goods in existence, you keep money supply the same, you reduce the number of goods in existence. Now you have the same amount of money chasing fewer goods, and that will also bid up the price of those goods. I mean, it, it inflation just isn't that complicated. And Biden has certainly done nothing, in my opinion, to uh, make things better. But the seeds of destruction, you know, were have been sown for since the creation of the Fed, really, in 1913. But yeah. I mean, most recently, the pandemic injecting all that 
money out of thin air that the Fed does buying assets with money that previously didn't exist. I mean, whoever was president right now was going to be doomed, but it certainly isn't helping. Biden certainly has done nothing to help with the supply chain problem. So you have increased money, you have fewer goods in existence. So you have more money, even more money chasing even fewer goods. This is no surprise. I love that angel Gabriel analogy that you use because it's it's not only is Biden while they're asleep increasing the money supply, he's literally with his COVID policy destroying the productivity that's there as well. So he's, I mean, he's working against us on both ends, and then you just have all these people who wake up with supposedly more money, uh, but they're just uh, euphoric and confused about why their money isn't isn't buying them more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a, it's definitely a hidden tax. I mean, it's a hidden tax on savers. Yes. Because like I say, you know, my 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 angel Gabriel model was more elaborate in the classroom. I would say, well, it doubles the money in the checking account and the your wallet but not in the savings account and of course, it's those retirement accounts that are just devastated by so you know, you thought you had enough money to retire and suddenly your savings by half as much Half as many groceries as they did before, uh, or taxes, you know, taxes go up. So inflation is definitely a hidden tax. I mean, it's a, and the government doesn't like to raise taxes because it's politi- politically unpopular, but government does like to spend money because that's politically popular. And so you either got to print money or tax people, and printing money seems to be the, uh, the uh, MO of these days. And that's very sneaky, right? I mean, you, you suddenly, I mean, there's a reason counterfeiting is illegal because the counterfeiter is stealing purchasing power from everyone else right. in existence, right. but it's no different than when the government does it, except they're the thief, they're the beneficiary, and those close to government banks, wherever the money gets injected first. Uh, and then I think the Fed was buying securities during the I mean, that's a very dangerous thing when the Fed can start picking winners and losers in corporate America by buying assets or corporate bonds from this company versus other companies. It's, it's, it's bad news. You know, you know, Joe, you know, Joe um, the Milton Friedman always thought the money supply should, should, be, should grow at a relatively constant rate. Right, you know, try, trying to match, trying to match the the growth in in uh, the, the the GDP and the and, and growth in economic activity. Does how does the how does the Austra, uh, what 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 does um um the uh, Austrian school of thought think about Milton Friedman's thinking, or do you all have something different in terms of how how the money supply should grow? in an economy such as ours you know hold on i just wanted to interject here i was just at a uh the the rev 2000 and all i heard was end the fed end the fed so i'm guessing that's it <laughs> yeah that's definitely it I'm, I'm smiling because you're reminding me of uh one of rothbard's laws i i mentioned on a previous show that uh i did my graduate work in economics with a guy named murray rothbard who was the the foremost Austrian and living Austrian at the time that I was going to grad school. And he had these things he called Rothbardisms, which were great. Now they, they weren't, he, he himself would say they weren't axiomatic like the Austrian axioms from which we deduce, we deduce uh, economic principles. But he said generally they're true. And one, of, one, one Rothbardism was uh, economists specialize in what they're worst at. 
So his classic example was the very one you raised, Leon. It was Milton Friedman, who's pretty good on most things. Yeah. Uh, but he specializes in what he's worse at, which is monetarism. Uh, yes. So, so uh, you know, of course, Rothbard made Friedman look like a socialist in many ways because Rothbard is much more hardcore free market. Uh, but no, the Austrians would end the Fed. Uh, because central banking is bad. Uh, fractional reserve banking is bad because it gives the Fed in partnership with the government the ability to create money out of thin air. Uh, fractional reserve banking is where I put $100 in the bank and they're allowed to loan out 1000 except that was under normal circumstances during COVID, I think, for the maybe for the first time, or maybe not the first time, but certainly a time, the reserve requirement became zero. Yeah. So a bank could loan out as much money as it wanted. Uh, it didn't. It wasn't limited to you know loaning out a thousand on a hundred. It could loan out five thousand on a hundred as long as it somehow remained solvent. So yeah. yes, uh, hard money. Austrians favor hard money because government can't create it out of thin air and devalue people's existing currency. Uh, and deflation is not you know deflation isn't a big problem. I mean it, it was. It's been an express concern from time to time, but the, the logic of that doesn't pan out. And, you know, without going into a deep explanation of that, better that prices should gently fall as, as uh, productivity goes. I mean, prices should fall if productivity goes up. We've seen that in all yeah, kinds yeah. of industries. Yeah, mean, yeah. Remember what the first computer cost as opposed to, you know, this. Um, yes. Yeah. You know, there's no reason that prices can't, there's no reason that prices can't fall. Um, savers certainly benefit if prices fall. We talked about the retiree who's, you know, facing inflation. Suddenly he's got, he or she has half as much money as they need to buy what they thought they were going to need to buy over the remainder of their life. I mean, if prices generally fall, that's a very good thing for, you know, for retirees because now suddenly their money buys more. And as long as costs, of capital goods goes down with prices that the gap, the profit gap remains fine. Yeah. Well, it, it is funny it is too funny. that, um, you know, the, just the, the, these ideas that they're trying to protect us from, you know, uh, productivity essentially decreasing <laughs> the price we pay for things. I, I just, it, it seems amazing that that's literally what they've sold us on. <laughs> At our in our government, but uh, you know I, that I do wanted to segue now to our, our next story that we want to talk about, and that's the idea of what some of the consequences of this terrible policy is that we've been following, not just for Biden. And in all fairness, you know Republicans have also let us down some of this crazy spending too, to the point where we're at thirty trillion dollars in debt. We're I guess we're over thirty trillion dollars in debt, yeah. and the the consequences of that it's it's almost like fantasy land if you start playing with the numbers. I mean we have about three hundred million people in the population. And if you were to divide that debt up over the entire population, that's essentially saying that each one of us owes over $100,000. And that's just for the, uh, oh, what do they call that? The um, 
plasma. That's just for the debt that's on the books, but not the funded funded liabilities. Yes, and and if you start adding all that other stuff in, the debt's a lot higher than that, and and it's just it, it amazes me. And um, I wanted to show real quick what that kind of looks like visually. This is the CBO's website, uh, the Congressional Budget Office, and this shows GDP over uh, uh, um, debt to GDP over time. And if you trace this out uh, earlier, they used to go all the way back to the founding of the country. And it was, you know, just a barely above one or 2%, you know, when you got out here. And then uh, maybe now they're just showing it here because it looks better for their case. I don't know. <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, you know, essentially they had a few blips around World War One and, and the stock market crash. But then uh, World War II was the big distortion. And you could just see this massive where we got over 100% of debt to GDP. And then, um, you know, I guess our productivity rose relative to everything else. And so we managed to cut down on that ratio. But now recently with the, the housing crisis, the war in Iraq, and now this un unbelievably irresponsible COVID lockdown policies, um, we're literally, this is what our government is projecting. This is their numbers. They're projecting we're just going out into the stratosphere on the amount of debt that we're accumulating relative to uh, to the what we produce in this country. So uh, anyways, it's just fantasy land numbers. I, I wonder if you guys wanted to jump in on this and talk about it a little bit. But the bigger crisis really is the on the on the um you know we talk about the 30 trillion dollars in, in debt. There's no doubt about that. That is a problem. But the bigger crisis that's going on though is the unfunded liabilities. And some of these things are in Social Security and uh, Medicare and some of these other government programs, these so-called government programs that are supposed to benefit certain certain sectors of our society. Those unfunded liabilities is what is gonna be, what is gonna sink us as a country if we if we don't do something about them. And I don't know what could be done right now at this stage in the game, but this is a real, real problem that nobody. No one, certainly not the Democrats, certainly not the Republicans. No one is really talking about this thing. This is a real problem. I would love to hear what Joe has to say about this. Well, we have something we call high – we talk about time preference in the Austrian school. This is the notion that people prefer present goods to the expectation of the same good in the future. I mean, the reason that interest exists – I'm going a little bit of a sidetrack here, but I'll get back to your point, Leon uh, – the reason that interest exists is because no one will trade $100 today for $100 a year from now. They want maybe $103 or 104 maybe 120 depending on who they are. Everybody has different time preferences. But politicians have very – well, let me say that certain groups have very high time preferences as compared to other groups kids, two, three-year-olds, offer them a piece of candy today or 100 pieces of candy tomorrow, what do they take? They take uh, the piece of candy today, right? Yes, Even yes. though they could have 100 pieces tomorrow because immediate satisfaction is very, very important to them. Criminals, the same thing. I mean, they don't, they greatly discount the ramifications of what they're doing well in the days when criminals were actually prosecuted, I should say. Yes, Maybe yes. my example is aged uh, and arcane now. But you know, criminals greatly discount, uh, even senior citizens to some extent, know they're not going to be around for a real long time. So they'll be a slightly higher time preference than, you know, lower aged people. Politicians are amongst the worst. They're as bad as the kids, right? They know they, their, their ability to stay in office is a function of what they can deliver to 
to people today. And so they greatly discount, you know, this, this impending crisis that you're talking about. There's really only one answer to the problem. And that is to cut spending. I mean, and will they do it? I mean, Rand used to talk, Ayn Rand used to talk about the cycles that you go through. You start with the age of agriculture and the age of industry, the age of envy followed by, um, well, you start with the age of caveman, right? And then it's, then it's the age of agriculture, the age of industry, and then comes the age of envy. And then you go back to the age of caveman. So ideally we would like to avoid returning to the age of bar, you know, barbarism and cavemen, which maybe weren't even all that barbaric uh, compared to, you know, some of the other uh, eras that we've seen, but absent government cutting spending, and there seems to be no political will because again, these, the high time preference of politicians, it, it really doesn't seem like, you know, this crisis can be averted. The only other thing that, I mean, another answer is, you know, this hyperinflation, you create money out of thin air. You can't tax non-productive people. You got the pyramid scheme uh, or the Ponzi scheme of social security. Uh, I mean, the money you think you put in an account somewhere is long spent, long ago spent. So how are you going to tax people, a a generation that doesn't really want to work, certainly not outside of their homes or whatever. Um, how are you going to tax that, that low population to support these promises that you've made? Your choice is to you know, go back to the age of caveman or some sort of hyper, quasi-hyperinflationary thing where you print money to pay people off and devalue dollars that don't buy anything. I mean, it's a problem. <laughs> well, we'll all be we'll all be millionaire cavemen. You know, I believe I believe the country the country of Zimbabwe had more billionaires than anybody else than anybody else ever had in the world. You know, only that their billionaires their billion dollars didn't work crap any place else. <laughs> you know, someone oh. gave me this paperweight. Oh, so are, are, are you showing us a trillion you're, you're a trillionaire. <laughs> I just have to cut it out of the plastic. But I mean, I, I, you know, as I mentioned, I've taught economics classes before. I have a whole collection of these Turkish lira, um, um, various currencies from various countries that, you know, when it's not backed by anything real and it's not, you know, good Austrian money, meaning backed by some commodity. I mean, money doesn't emerge in the marketplace as paper. That takes the force of government to force people to turn in their commodity money and get something fake like this. Um, you know, that's that's what's going to happen, I'm afraid. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I Just as a little tangent, I had done a, a Toastmasters talk a while back on the penny. And it was it, because uh, Canada was, uh, I guess they ended their penny, but uh, ours is very similar. And if you look at the history of the coinage over time, you can see how the penny has shrunk, how they've changed the materials in it, how they've done all kinds of things, debasing uh, the value of it. And, and in a lot of countries, these currencies, these low denominations, they just disappear because they inflate them out of existence so it's just it's it's crazy yes Yes. well the other thing that happens which is a good example is you know the 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 value of the copper and the penny at least the old ones when they were made out of copper greatly exceeds the value of the penny so so the you know this is a gresham's law thing right where real money makes 
bad money disappears. So if it's only worth a penny, which doesn't buy anything, but I can, you know, buy three cents worth of stuff if I just melt it down, which of course is illegal. I'm not recommending it. Um, <laughs> uh, but I mean, it's a perfect demonstration of, and, and there's also a, a restaurant, I forget where it is. I, it's, it's somewhere in Wisconsin where they have prices if you pay in pre-1964 coins. And it's a burger restaurant. Um, you can find it if you Google it, I'm sure. But like a hamburger is 10 cents if you use a mercury dime. But, you know, if you use dollars, it's $2.50. You know, it's, it's, it's funny. It, it, as a piece of trivia on this as well, when I was doing this uh, little study, the, the, uh, uh, it actually might surprise people, but if you walk out of the country with, I believe it's $5 in pennies, or uh, if you ship $100 in pennies, you've actually broken the law. They had to put laws on the books over these things because it, it, otherwise you'd have this uh, kind of this arbitrage situation where literally you're creating these pennies that are much more valuable for the material than what they can purchase. So they, they want to make sure that people don't just start a business of shipping them all out of the country and melting them down. Oh. <laughs> just wow. so, I wasn't aware. It, this doesn't surprise me because of what I said, but I wasn't aware yeah. that that was technically yeah. true. Well, it, it just shows you where we can go, you know, when planners get busy. <laughs> But uh, speaking of planners getting busy, and maybe we can bring up this uh, next story, you know, you wonder if all of this irresponsible governance and the crazy levels of debt, the crazy inflation is leading us to this concept of this this great reset. I mean, it appears to be that the, almost the the dream of authoritarians worldwide, uh, the central planners, that they, they imagine that there's going to be this world government that they're going to sort of, uh, that, that everybody's going to be happy if they just control everything and make our, all our decisions for us. Um, and this particular article is an article about reason talking about that and maybe some of the ways that technology might help us escape that. But the Biden administration is embracing this wholeheartedly. I mean, they're all for this. Uh, it, you know, they, they believe that a lot of these global problems we have with environmental issues and other things like that, um, it, it's in their minds, wouldn't it just be great if we could just make the decisions for everybody in one place and we wouldn't have to worry about negotiating these things? And so it's just, uh, uh, you know, these ideas of planners. We, we just saw what a disaster COVID is. I just can't imagine how bad it would be if we, you know, put this power under their uh, authority for everything. What do you guys think about this whole great escape or, or not great escape, but great reset nonsense? The central, the central planners, whenever they touch anything, it always turns a disaster. Could you imagine that we had one world government, whether it's because of climate, you know, that is their, their favorite religion these days. Oh, we have to solve the climate the climate problem, like if we could stop the forces of nature, God help us. But the point is, though, the central planners, whatever they touch, it turns to this, into a disaster. They have a one-size-fits-all mentality, and it's not going to work for 7 billion people. You know, we, they, they, they tried a little bit of it with the climate with the, um, the climate accords that came out of, of, the, of the Paris, and that turned, that turned to crap. They're still trying to do it. But they're always finding something to take away our liberties. And they're always trying to find something where they seize the power and they're going to create some nice little utopia for us. But it is nothing but their power, their control, 
and our loss of liberty. That's all that happens at the end of this. Yeah, I mean, central planning certainly doesn't work. I'm optimistic in reading that article that the, the great escape technology might somehow help people escape that. I have but to agree, yes. I have to agree, you, yes. And I, I don't know technology. You know, I'm not a big uh, cryptocurrency fan. I'm a hard money guy, and uh, Austrians are sort of split on that. Uh, but personally, um, I like gold and silver and copper pennies, apparently. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, things will definitely be worse. It's They might be talking about a great reset because, you know, if you say, well, Social Security no longer exists, but it's okay because we're going to take care of you uh, in other ways. Uh, maybe that, maybe this is their, maybe it's government's escape from all the promises they've made that they can no longer keep. I mean, the Soviet Union only lasted as long as it did because they had free market economies to base costs on. But if there's no market anywhere, I mean, it, as Leon said, it, it will be an absolute disaster. Mm -hmm. uh, it, 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 there is a matter of who has the guns, right? Yes. So yes, if, yes. If government has the guns and things are bad, that's bad for the that's bad for the population. So, uh, uh, you know, yeah. I try and be an optimist, uh, but th these things are very troubling. Indeed, I, I, but, I, but I totally agree with you, Jude, about the um, the issue about technology and helping us escape some of the the effects of the um, of this supposedly great reset. I really believe technology will help us solve some of these problems. So I'm I'm a little bit optimistic, like you, despite despite my earlier statements. But I, I do have some optimism within my spirit. Yeah, I I, I did uh, pick up on that one thing you said, Joe, too. That uh, uh, you know the idea that you know, if you put everything under one place, there's like, there's, it sounds like you were saying there's no market to gauge what anything is worth at that point. Right. I, I recall hearing a talk a long time ago about the idea that in the Soviet Union, at least they could look at other markets to figure out what things were worth. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, it's, it's, it's another Misesian thing at Mises Institute again, um, about calculation in this socialist countries and, you know, if you imagine that you want to build a train, you know, a train track from point A to point B, and there's a mountain in between, how do you decide whether to go around the mountain or whether to go through it? You need to know the cost of the inputs uh, in order to figure out whether it makes more sense to blast, use, you know, dynamite to blast the tunnel or whether it makes you just lay more track and go around. Uh, absent absent calculation, absent knowing the relative prices and values of things, you can never make that kind of decision. And you can never know as a company whether you have a profit or loss because you never know if the cost of the inputs exceed the, the revenue of the output. Um, and as, as you mentioned, there are, you know, there are examples where socialist countries have relied upon the value of things as determined by other markets. But if there's no other market, if we're talking about one world's government central planning, I mean, we're necessarily poor. And, and as a deductive economist, I can say that's necessarily true. Yeah. Yeah. Just Indeed. an information game. <laughs> but uh, yes. we're, we're getting near pretty much near the end of the show. But um, if we have enough time, I'd like to go through our knucklehead noise patrol. If you guys are cool with just another couple minutes um, uh, in our knucklehead noise patrol, uh, 
Today, we're talking about Biden and how he's always talking about people paying their fair share. And let me see, I don't have that video going. But uh, Biden essentially uh, recently came, uh, called on people, uh, as you constantly hear Democrats calling on, uh, for people to pay their fair share. And what he said uh, in a uh, White House discussion, actually, this goes back to 2021, but he said, uh, uh, we have to rehire some IRS agents. Okay, that's the eighty thousand that they just hired in the <laughs> in the Inflation Reduction Act that we were yeah. talking about. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and or, or, or I, I can't remember exactly the number of IRS agents, but it was like eighty billion dollars worth. I think it was. Uh, it was eighty seven eighty seven thousand, Jason? Oh, it was eighty seven thousand. Okay, yeah. yeah. So anyway, so they hired all these uh, IRS agencies not to try uh, to make people pay something they don't owe. Just to say, hey, step up, step up and pay like everyone else does. However, according to a report from the Congressional Research Service, Biden routed most of his book and speaking earnings from around 2018, 2019 into an S corporation so he could avoid paying about $500,000 worth of taxes. So, you know, this fair share nonsense is kind of silly. But, uh, you know, another idea of this fair share, and I just wanted to bring up this graphic really quick from the Tax Foundation where they took this from my. IRS numbers. 2019, we see the top 1% pays almost 39% of all income taxes. And then right. you go to the top 5%. Now you've gotten to, you know, almost 60% of all income taxes. And when you include the top 10% now of income earners, that's literally uh, uh, about 70%. Okay. And when you talk about the bottom 50% earners, you're talking about 3% of all yes. income taxes. So, I mean, the idea this, this nonsense that Democrats and Biden are constantly trying to bait us with in this class warfare of, of of, you know, pay your fair share. What What is the fair share? I mean, I'd love to hear somebody pin them down on what number it is, because it's always more and it's always somebody else. So I, I don't know. What do you guys think about this? Well, I'm reminded of uh, my economic mentor, Rothbard. He had, a, he had a great saying. He said, when, when someone says fair, grab your wallet and run for the hills. <laughs> well, I mean, it's fair is a trigger word for me. So... <laughs> I'm not a big fan of trigger words, but if there is one, it's fair. The other thing I'm sort of amazed at is who's paying money to hear Biden speak? Because I can't imagine he could even generate $500,000 total. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, I guess what that really tells you is that people aren't there to hear him speak. Yeah. They're there to make political connections for access and benefits from the government. Yeah, of course, of course. And, you know, a little while ago, you talk about the expansion of language and, and re redefinition of things. You know, you know they, they, they always have this something new for us, you know, fear, share, you know, <laughs> yeah, fear, share, you know. No, that it sounds good, right? It sounds really good. Fear, share. But when they're talking about, all they're talking about is taxing the most productive people in our society, taxing them more than they already do. I mean, it's, it's just nonsense, you know? And then they have some of these central planners hiding their money like Joe Biden is. Oh, God, the hypocrisy is, it's stinking to high heavens. It's rampant. Right. Yeah. Well, he's certainly making sure that Hunter Biden is running around the world collecting his fair share of resources. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> but I, I think that's just about all the time we have today. Joe, since you've been a guest, did you want to uh, tell anybody else uh, any last uh, messages about the Mises Institute or some of the stuff? No, I mean, have? if you're interested in sound economic principles and learning of them, there's no entity better suited to help you with that than the Mises Institute in Auburn, Alabama, Mises.org. And if you're really serious about it and you want to uh, consider taking a graduate degree program in Austrian economics from a school that accepts no government money, uh, MisesGraduateSchool.org. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. And if you're more interested in hearing more about uh, some of the Mises Institute and uh, what Joe had to say, we have him on another uh, podcast as well that we did earlier, and he gets into a lot more detail about it there. So check that out as well. Um, and uh, well, and that's about the end of our show. So until the next time, stay free. Yes, indeed. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness always and forever. Thank you for listening to the Knuckleheads of Liberty podcast. Find us on Facebook, Rumble, YouTube, your favorite podcast network, and at knuckleheadsofliberty.com.